Welcome back to The Good, The Bad, and The Neutral. Avery, would you like to tell me what plane we're on today? We are on Glen Alendra on Lorwyn. Neat. I was going to say, I hope we're on Lorwyn. Well, we're on Lorwyn today. All right. We're coming to you live from Lorwyn. All right, hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Neutral, the show where we discuss and debate the fictional D&D alignments of real-world fictional characters. I'm Jack. I'm Avery. We've got a 20-sided die and a list of characters to talk about, so we're just going to jump right into it today. All right, we got some fun ones for you guys today. Our first character today is Dora the Explorer. All right. So, we recently watched the Dora the Explorer movie, Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which is a masterpiece. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Neither of us have seen the cartoon in probably 15 years. I watched it a lot as a kid. So did I. But I do think it is more interesting to talk about the Dora from the film because she's a little older. She's a little bit more nuanced. She's a heck of a lot wackier. It's true. Um, And I think that's probably the way to go for this. So Dora the Explorer from the movie is a teenage girl who has spent her entire life growing up in the jungle. Capital J, no actual specific jungle, just the jungle. Um, context will tell you it's probably somewhere in the South uh, in South America because they are looking for Incan ruins. Um, Dora is... Uh, sent off by her parents to go live with her cousin in Los Angeles, where she goes to high school and is very bad at it, um, and is picked on and laughed at a lot. Uh, and then midway through the movie that you expect to be a, like, coming-of-age tale, where you learn about going to high school and how how to fit in and stuff, her and some friends get kidnapped, and the rest of the movie is spent in the jungle. Yeah, and they go find the lost city of, uh, and, uh, rescue their parents and do some exploring and learn some valuable lessons about how grave robbing is bad. Yes. It's an extremely silly movie. Uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is a masterpiece of weirdness. Oh yeah, 100%. So I'm gonna go out on a crazy limb here and say Dora is probably neutral good. Explain your reasoning. Okay, um... So Dora is very committed to being true to herself. She doesn't seem particularly concerned with the rules of school or the rules of the jungle. I mean, she brings a knife on a field trip. That's a very like famous bit from the the the, uh, the trailer for the film. Uh, but like, there's a, a comedy spot spot early on when she first gets to high school where she has like roadside flares and like anti uh, diarrhea medicine and all kinds of like and and antiseptic stuff and. Just like a, a bunch of stuff in her backpack that she's 100% not allowed to have with her at high school. And the guy's like, you can pick it up at the end of the day. And she's like, but what if I need it later? So she very clearly doesn't, she's not lawful. She's not particularly concerned with the rules of, of anything. Uh, but I don't think she's chaotic either because she is really concerned with what people think of her. Um, she's not really in this for the the like for the freedom or the, the, the uh, um, liberation type aspects of it. She's very particular about who she is and who she wants to be. Uh, but she she's also very encouraging when other people are being strange that they should also be who they are and who they want to be. Uh, and that feels very, like, capital G good to me. Um, so I think out of a failure to be anything else on the, uh, the ethical, uh, uh, what's the word? Axis? Yes, on the ethical axis, uh, she is probably neutral and then good on the moral axis. Um, so I agree with you that she is neutral good, but because I think it's worthwhile to do, I want to make an argument for for her law for being lawful good and an argument for being chaotic good okay which is, I think, why she lands in neutral good, because you can make convincing arguments for, for both, both sides. Yeah. So in terms of lawful good, I want to talk about her dedication to the 
code of the explorer. Like, um, she is so adamant that she's not a thief. She won't do anything to steal anything. She always leans directly into the rules of the adventure in a really big way. Like when they're solving the puzzles, it's very much like, we're gonna solve these puzzles. We're gonna solve these riddles because that's how you do this. She might not have a lot of respect for the rules of high school, but she does have a lot of respect for the rules of the society she considers herself part of, which is this collection of explorers and the code of exploring. Um, and like, there's obviously an argument to be made about whether or not she considers herself part of high school. But in the context of this argument, I would have to argue that I didn't think she was. It seems more like she's sort of observing the situation, at least until the end. No, even at the end, she, spe she specifically tells her parents she wants to go back to high school, almost tongue in cheek, but like to observe this culture. Yeah. As though she were exploring high school. Yeah. So if you argue that she doesn't really consider herself part of that society, she considers herself an explorer, then you could argue that she's lawful good. You could also argue that she's chaotic good because she consistently defies any and all authority presented to her at any point. Uh, her parents are like, don't do these crazy things. Don't do, don't interact with people in this way. Don't run into the jungle on your own. And Dora's like, I can't hear you. I'm too busy being in the jungle on my own. And you know, she is literally always completely ignoring what people are saying to her and doing whatever she feels like. I think this argument's a little weaker because she clearly, again, has a lot of respect for the code of the explorer. And when she's in a bad situation and her back is up against a wall and there's someone there who knows more than her, she will defer to them. And that's usually an adult with authority. But I am, I, I would more directly lean toward lawful, but I think like her nature as a, as a wild child tends to lead to some very chaotic behavior. See, I actually think she's more chaotic than she is lawful. Um, and I'll, I'll, my argument for that is that uh, she is a deeply individualistic person. She thinks everyone should be exactly who they want to be and nothing else. Um, she defies any and all expectations of uh, placed upon her in high school uh, and and specifically by her, her cousin Diego, who, God bless him, is just trying to do what's, uh, what's going to keep everyone safe and happy and, and not. And he actually uh, confronts her about this and says, like, hey, you know they're laughing at you, right? And she says, of course I know they're laughing at me, but I can't be anyone else but myself. And that is a very like, I am a I am an individual, I am a chaotic good person type behavior. This idea that your individual like personality is the most pure and, 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 uh, it's a better word here, the most, uh... Essential? Yeah, the most essential thing you can be. Uh, and I think that is a, uh, that is something that chaotic good specifically tries to emulate as much as possible, uh, is the sort of, like, I don't care what you think of me, I'm going to be this individual, uh, to the detriment of, of, of my, my social life, because that's who I am and that's who I want to be. Um, and I think she's more that than she is lawful. I definitely like your argument for her, like, code of the explorer, though. And I think the the fact that there is a strong argument on either side means that Dora is sort of doing what feels right to her in the moment with regards to the law chaos axis. And she feels very strongly in both ways. Um, for once, I think neutral good is the alignment in conflict with itself. That's excellent. Um, so before we actually like confirm this, I do want to just do this one little spot for the movie. It's a really good movie, you guys. You're going to sit down and watch it and be like, who is this movie for? Who did they make this film for? 
for? Why is why are there so many like children's jokes and also so many adults jokes slapped up against one another? Like, did they make this film for the parents? Did they make this film for the kids? Did they make this film for the people who are now adults who grew up watching the show? And the answer is they made it for themselves, you guys. It was such a great movie. They also made it for me specifically. They made it for Avery specifically, you guys. My my little aside for the movie is a reference to what Jack was talking about that moment when Diego's like, you know, they're laughing at you and Dora's like, of course I do, but I can only be myself. I thought that was kind of groundbreaking in the sense that a lot of the time that sort of fish out of water experience in uh, movies, especially with girls, is this idea that they're like naive and don't notice that they're not following the rules or they're not fitting in. Dora in this, uh, in this movie knows exactly what's going on. She knows she doesn't fit in, but she has made the conscious decision to be herself and smile through it. And I think that's a really interesting character trait that you don't see in a lot of films uh, for a character like this. Especially for a girl character like that. Oh yeah. I can't recommend this movie enough. Uh, if you watched Jupiter Ascending on my recommendation and you liked it, go watch Dora. Similar energies. Similar energies. All right, Dora the Explorer. Neutral good. Okay, let's get to character number two, Lady Satsuki. Oh boy. Okay. All right, we rolled an 11. That's the first time we've done that. Let's. You, you watched the show more recently than I did, so you gotta give some background. Okay, Lady Satsuki Kiryun is the heiress to a uh, powerful clothing family, uh, a fashion empire, uh, who is the uh, head student, like the, the student body president uh, at this academy that I can't remember the name of. Uh, Hanoji? Yeah, the Hanoji Academy. Um, she is uh, insanely powerful in the way that like the, the student council can only ever be powerful in shows and movies that focus on student council behavior. Almost always anime. Yes. Uh, I mean, there are some others. Um, there's definitely some like... Uh, 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 like 80s and 70s movies where the student council is like has the power to like expel students or something but anyway um she is a uh a powerful authority figure who is uh under, still, regardless, under the thumb of her mother, uh, who is very much like the the stereotypical rich mother who like owns the school and installed uh, Satsuki as the uh, as the uh, head student intentionally so, uh, and is I'm not gonna get too deep into the lore of the series because we could be here all day for that. Um, but she ends up becoming a good guy while still maintaining her like powerful domineering presence. Um, and and uh, still continuing to be this absolute boss of a character. Thank you. Um, I, I do want to say... Like, Jack is right. If we go too far into the lore, we are going to be here all day. But that description made the Kill the Kill sound remarkably mundane. Very tame, right? And I feel the need to just provide some more context. Uh, Hanoji Academy, people get superpowers through their uniforms. Mm -hmm. Like, the more stars you have, the more power you have because the clothing, like, merges with you and creates your superpowers. They're called life fibers. Yeah. And uh, Satsuki and the main character, Ryuko, have, like, super space alien uniforms that make them even more powerful, uh, but only when they're as naked as possible. Yes. Um, I cannot express this to you enough. Killical is an incredible TV show that is 130% fan service, and it's only there for the fan service, and there's no other reason to watch it. There, we're gonna be talking about this show in, like, a very serious pseudo-academic way, like we do, 
Uh, but everything we say, just imagine it a thousand times crazier. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. Like, um, we're gonna talk about this character as though she's a normal teenage girl, and I want you to understand she's in fact a robot powered by love. That's not actually the thing that's in the canon, but it might as well be. Like, it's, uh, the, the beginning of the series is Ryuko coming in and being like, the person who owns the other half of this giant scissor yeah. is the person who killed my father. Also, my uniform form is an alien and it ends with clothing is people and people are clothing and it makes like the transition from that one point to the next point it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up in a way that you understand how it got there yeah um Satsuki Satsuki yes um why don't you take this one first? All right, Sasuke's tough for me. Uh, I'm inclined to say no. Your gut says lawful neutral, right? My gut says lawful neutral, but like it's clear from the beginning that Satsuki doesn't actually align very strongly with Ragio, her mother. Agreed. There's this sort of undercurrent of I am going to get my way and betray this person. It's just a matter of time and opportunity. Absolutely. So she can't be lawful. Can she? That's a really tough question because we've discussed at length already about how a lawful character or a character in a position of power is at an, at an opportunity to be as non-lawful as possible because when you are in power you don't have to follow your own rules and she very much does that she's definitely in a position of power and she's definitely like refusing to follow those rules because she doesn't have to, because she's in charge. And um, there are characters in her entourage that are clearly significantly more lawful than her to sort yeah. of set up as a foil like Gamagori. Like Gamagori, yeah, I was going to say. Um, and as far as being a lawful character goes, she's not, she doesn't exhibit a lot of the personality types of being lawful. Like, she doesn't follow a code. Uh, she's very, like, pragmatic. She's definitely on the, uh, the sort of, like, I am in this for uh, the, or I'm going to do whatever it takes. Overwhelmingly so. So to get my way. Um, and, and when she pivots to the other side, it's mostly out of desire to screw Ragyo over. Yeah, it's and almost exclusively for the, the like, not even for the greater good, but just, like, for this aim that she's, like, she, she completely realigns herself and brings her entire empire with her because she feels like it, because she thinks that she's doing what she's, what she wants, really. And it's what she's wanted, sort of, from the jump. Right. She just never got the chance to do it until Ryuko showed up and sort of spurned her, not spurned, uh, spurred, spurred yeah. her to act. I'm inclined to say true neutral. I think she's really only after what she wants, but is it chaotic or this true? This is so tough. Yeah. I don't, I think she would be upset to be accused of being chaotic something. Yeah, and the fact that she was working within, uh, the system of Hanoji yeah. Academy the whole time, uh, and by that I mean she was biding her time doing what she needed to do as her position required it yeah. but like she never like i have trouble believing that a character who is chaotic would voluntarily or involuntarily really continue to participate in a system that's as rigid as honoji academy specifically one that is so oppressive yeah like a, a chaotic character would look at the oppression in that system and go this is unfair like ryuko yeah who spends the entire first half of the series just beating up everybody at the academy except for mako everybody all 
all of them. Yeah. Like, Ryuko, she, Ryuko she has just, broken one bone in every student except Mako. She just fights her way through the entire school, and then there's, like, a transition, and then she starts fighting her way through an entirely different army. Yeah. So I think she's, Tatsuki specifically, is very solidly true neutral, again, out of a failure to be anything else. Yeah, it's, she's out for her own personal ambitions, and to accomplish her own goals, which are mostly, I think, to just screw over her mom who Yes. Sucks. They are fairly aligned with the causes of goodness, but, like, not because she wants to be. It's entirely because she's doing what she feels like, and she feels like screwing over some bad people. Sasuke Kiryuin. True neutral. Alright. Alright, let's get another good character going here. That's another 11. That's a 14. Rose Tyler. Oh man. Alright, um, may I? Of course. Rose Tyler is the audience surrogate character for the reboot episodes of Doctor Who that premiered in 2005. She is, uh, she grew up on, uh, what Americans would consider tenement housing. Um, she, I believe it's called the estate in Britain. Um, she is, she never graduated high school, uh, uh, she's works at a shop. Uh, she lives with her her ridiculous abusive ex-boyfriend uh, who was never actually seen on screen. Um, and she comes with the doctor because she is the most human person he's ever met. Um, her very first appearance in the show, uh, she does the most human thing I've ever seen someone do on Doctor Who, which is she does a gymnastics thing and says, I got third place in like fifth grade gymnastics. I can do this. And that's so human and I love it. Um, Rose Tyler is the moral heart and soul of the first several seasons of Doctor Who. Um, she is constantly upset with uh, injustices. She's constantly going out there being like, uh, hey doctor, I know that there's like some important world ending stuff, but also we're gonna unionize these random workers here. And that's so Rose Tyler. I love that like like that impulse. That's such a human like empathetic impulse. And it's, it's, it's something that a lot of the other companions in the Davies era exhibited. Um, but I think Rose does does it best, uh, and she also did it first, so we got it. Um, Rose ends up, like, deeply irretrievably in love with the Doctor, and by all accounts, he's returns the sentiment, uh, and they end up, uh, creating a second Doctor. This is some meta context, I don't mean it like this is done in sh in the show for this purpose, but out of show, they 100% made a second Doctor just so they could marry them off and send them away happy. Um, so why don't you tell me what you think Rose Tyler is? Um, well, uh, disclosure on my end, which you know if you've been listening to the episode I have only watched the first the first season of the new Doctor and a couple episodes of the David Tennant era. Yeah, so you're just talking about the ninth Doctor here. Basically, yeah. Um, but I think honestly, like Rose is full blown obvious chaotic good yeah. to me. Okay. Um, because her response to any unjust system is let's go talk to the little guy and do something. Yeah, it's never like let's go find out what the big person is up to. She does doesn't care what the guy in charge is up to. She wants to talk to a hundred thousand little people and have them punch the big guy in the junk. And as we talked about with Dora briefly, chaotic good is very, you know, your individual self is the most important thing. And the fact that she is going to go talk to every individual little person and be like, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? How do you feel? Can I help you? That one-to-one -one individual interaction and also the fact that that she 100% would hit any unjust 
lawmaker in the head with a pipe if she could, I think puts her pretty definitively into chaotic good. I also want to point out um, how rough uh, Rose has it with like meeting her dad and then having her dad die in front of her. And like, I hope that's not spoilers. That was 15 years ago. It's fine. Um, there's uh, everything with, with, uh, Captain Jack Harkness, uh, which is a whole other, like, ridiculous, uh, uh, stuff going on. Oh, Boomtown, man. Um, I almost forgot about Boomtown. Um, the time, uh, the time the Doctor, uh, has to fight aliens that have taken over, uh, uh, Downing Street. Um, and honestly, to sort of pivot off that, uh, I think that part of the reason that I say Rose is chaotic good is because that series, that first series is chaotic good. Yeah. And the companion is sort of supposed to represent, the, as uh, Jack said, the moral center of the doctor's point of view in the audience's point of view in a series. And so many of these episodes are about coming up against something that's like oppressive or uh, like big and scary and fighting it and defeating it. And the fact that like the the ending of it, the bad wolf thing is this oppressive future government that becomes this like reality TV show thing. And that's what they're beating at the end, I think is important. So Rose Tyler, cat it good. Yeah. I think that's not even in question really. Yeah. Um, that's another one that we've had on here for a long time. I'm excited to have done it. All right. Last one. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh. You're, you're taking this one. All right. So I'm going to try. Do it justice. To be brief. Okay. Sonic the Hedgehog is a blue hedgehog that runs fast. End of story. No, there's more. Uh, he, in the first, so, I, I can sort of divide Sonic into like legs, quote unquote, or eras. There's that first era of Sonic that is uh, sort of classic where he's freeing animals from robots and beating Dr. Eggman. Then there's the Sonic Adventure era where things get a little more complicated story-wise, still fighting Dr. Eggman, mostly trying to stop the world from being destroyed. Sometimes there are animals. Uh, and then you sort of get into the post-colors uh, era where things sort of toned down a little bit, still fighting Dr. Eggman, still sometimes freeing animals. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the Lost World stuff because that's not really something I consider to be the Sonic that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the sort of core Sonic from the core games. Um, and he basically just beats up Dr. Eggman a lot and stops him from trying to take over the world. And sometimes he meets a lady and it gets super weird. Sometimes he meets a lady and it doesn't get super weird, but then people make it weird. Uh, so Sonic the Hedgehog has been through a lot. Sonic the Hedgehog has been through stuff. Um, I do think, though, that Sonic, again, is pretty definitively chaotic good. Um, he is just sort of, a, he's described himself in Sonic Adventure 2 as just a guy who loves adventure. And that's sort of where he's at. Like, he wants to beat up Dr. Eggman because Dr. Eggman is a jerk who's trying to take over the world. And it's fun to do. Like, a lot of the time, Sonic is just having a good time doing his thing. Uh, where he beats up Dr. Eggman. And, like, that's really it, I think. Really? That's it? Yeah, that's it. Okay. This might be our shortest one ever. I mean, we talked for a long time about both Dora and Satsuki. Yeah. And then Rose was a little bit shorter, and then Sonic. Okay, I just, before we go any further, and I know that this is like the last minute of the episode, um, if you have your Sonic OCs and you want to share them with us, please email us at support at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, a d full disclosure, uh, that was a jab at me. Was it? Yeah. No, it wasn't. No, you don't understand. My first internet community was the Sonic fandom. Oh, dear God. Yeah. I'm learning so much deep Avery lore. It's, um... 
there are people in my life who could tell you about this, and I have not sworn them to secrecy. So, like, if you found them and discovered who they were, then they would tell you, probably. Um, so if you want to know about my Sonic OC, I guess feel free to email us, and I will, uh, tell you nothing, probably, unless you ask really, really nicely. Um, yeah, so that's our show. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh Sonic? Yeah, good. Uh, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you'd like to tell us, uh, what you thought of our, our incredibly informal episode today. Uh, it's been like a month since we recorded. It we're just like, sort of tapered off at the end. We're getting back into the swing of things. Please do email us at wndbproductions at gmail.com. That's withdrawn neutrons doing bowling productions at gmail.com. Also, we have a Patreon. I want to take a second to thank our patrons, Sam Morrison and Lina P. The two of you make this podcast possible. Possible. All right. And remember, if you do sign up for our Patreon, you get episodes early. You get to hear the unedited episodes. You get your ideas put straight onto our D20 list. Uh, and that's the fun stuff. And also, we'll talk to you and be your friend. We love you. It's true. Uh, anyway, so thank you very much, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out. <laughs>